0: and welcome. I'm Will.
1: And I'm Alicia.
0: This is Enter the Rabbit Hole. Each week we dive into and dissect the weird, the momentous, and the downright interesting.
1: And today we're covering Highwaymen.
0: Yes, H is for Highwaymen. Alicia, how you been?
1: Pretty good. Um, I mean, it, it was a pretty easy episode compared to most of the other ones.
0: Yeah, and we're relatively lucky in the respect that there are many, many Highwaymen stories for us to choose from. So
1: many criminals to pick and choose. Yeah,
0: we are spoiled for choice. So we're going to be telling you about four of our top favourites today. Uh, It should be fun. Before we get started, do you want to tell us what a highwayman is. I think it's a concept that people in the UK will be more familiar with.
1: Yeah, so a highwayman is typically a person on horseback who robs people as they travel on roads. So it could be like on the king's highway, it could be in the forest, any kind of like footpath. Usually they would rob carriages or people traveling from town to town.
0: Yeah. So the key ingredients that you're looking for, one, a criminal who is robbing. Robin.
1: Robin and thieving.
0: Robin. Robin. Robin and Robin. No. No. Robin and thieving. Uh, So someone who's doing a robbery, uh, they're doing it on, it doesn't necessarily need to be the road, but it's on some means of conveyance and they're robbing people who are passing through.
1: I mean, it's not that much different from any other form of like larceny, except that it's basically a mugging. It's a mugging. Yeah.
0: But it sounds more romantic than today we're covering M for muggers. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. Also, that's several episodes down the pipe when we really run out of ideas. And we should settle up top. Are we going to be calling them highway, highway men or highwomen?
1: Uh, it's up to you, I guess.
0: I'm going to call them highwomen. Okay, I just think it sounds good.
1: Sure. Hi, women.
0: Yeah. Hi. (laughs) Hi, women.
1: Oh, hello. The women are coming.
0: Hey, ladies. Just me rolling up on my black stallion, like, with my arm propped up in thin air and being like, Hey, ladies. Your money or your life? This is the lesser-known
1: Southern Highwaymen.
0: Mm-hmm, yeah. And on that subject, so I did mention before that this is a concept that is more... will be more familiar to people in the UK, especially people in England, I think. It's maybe even something that gets covered in schools, whereas it's not... Really something that we talk about is often north of the border. We'll maybe cover a similar time period, but we don't cover these particular characters. Is that concept that you had come across before we decided to do this episode?
1: I mean, I knew of Highwaymen. There is, um, I've mentioned them before, Horrible Histories, like a TV show and a book series aimed at kids. They talk a little bit about Highwaymen, which is how I knew about Dick Turpin, who we'll cover later the show. Mm-hmm. Um... There's definitely uh, a culture of, like, the romantic highwaymen. Yeah. And I think people in the U.S. would know about them. I don't think people in the U.S. would know a specific highwayman. Sure. Highwaymen.
0: And you obviously had already heard the 1980s classic uh, from Adam Ant. Could you tell me um, why that is your favorite song of the 1980s?
1: Well, it's probably my favorite song just because of the lyrics Uh and the music.
0: Okay, so both of those things. Both
1: of those things together really create um an audible song.
0: Yeah. An audible medium for music motion. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
1: And um you know, often I'll lay in bed at night and and listen to this song. Yeah. Some could call it.
0: You do. It's very distracting actually. I'm I'm really upset by the fact that you do that every night.
1: It's how I fall asleep.
0: Just chanting. Oh, she's out. She's under deep sleep. Uh, In all seriousness, that is an absolute banger. And it also has very, very little to do with what we're gonna be covering today. Uh, My final question up top, Leash: do you think you could be a highwayman? Like, would you turn to a life of crime? A romantic of a, life of A friend.
1: romanticized version of a highwayman, possibly. But let's be honest, like, who, who who would get out of their carriage for me? Like, even on a horse, I'm not exactly an imposing figure. And I'd be like, stand and deliver! And they'd be like, is there a small child trying to rob us?
0: Mm-hmm. You would need a really big horse yeah. wearing, like, horse lifts.
1: And I, I'd probably need, like, you know, one of those cloaks, and then you put, um put something on your shoulders to like kind of like lift the hood up above your head. Sure. Uh
0: You're so you're talking about like uh like power shoulders, like a shoulder suit from like again from the nineteen eighties. We're going back there. Yeah, again. but with
1: like a broomstick through the top so that it looks like the hood is, is like a foot higher.
0: Oh, you wanna do a two kids wearing mm-hmm. a trench coat type deal. Mm-hmm. Ah, so you would need an accomplice.
1: No no no. All I need is just to make it look like I'm bigger than I am. And I just won't let them, you know, it'll be terrifying because they can't see my face.
0: Yeah, so it's a good tactic for for bears and for you robbing people as it well. It won't be
1: great for me riding off, I'll be honest.
0: Yeah, it's going to look real weird with you, like, bouncing around on top of that horse and then you're presumably, like, papier-mâché or cardboard and chicken wire torso just bouncing around on top of your, on top of your body. <laughs> <laughs> there she goes. Is she okay? I'm okay
1: She's just leaning to way over the horse.
0: <laughs> God damn, why did we let her rob us? She's clearly not not well. Uh so before we get too involved in our fancy uh, our our fancy flightsy
1: our yep. flights of fancy there you go.
0: Yeah, that's how you say it. Quick call to action. So if you are listening, go ahead and follow the show and leave us a review. Good, bad, or ugly. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Although we prefer the good, if we're being honest.
0: I mean that is ideal.
1: Also, if you have any future ideas, ideas for future episodes, yeah, future if you ideas, have ideas from
0: the future, <laughs> great.
1: Would love those absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, How do you make
0: a hover car?
1: I mean, those are available now. So you know, not hover cars, something else. Yeah. Uh, please share any ideas for future episodes with us. You can find us on etrh the pod at gmail.com or at ETRH the pod on social media
0: yeah because for real guys we're we're really clutching at straws here uh, really we've already scraped through the bottom of the barrel highwaymen and there's nothing underneath <laughs> okay so uh, we're gonna swap some stories take a turn about and should I start us off yeah wonderful okay so I know that we associate uh, highwaymen with the 1600s in England but I'm gonna skip over that rather obvious step and I'm, I'm gonna head uh to France to tell you the story of Louis-Dominique Gathausen. Wow beautiful. Yeah it was great. Are you great. sure you're not French? Uh well it started off French and then got kind of German didn't it? Mm. Um yeah so let me. As with
1: all your accents.
0: It's, it's gonna take us to, to some weird places. Much like England's Dick Turpin, the exploits of 18th century France's Louis-Dominique Garthausen have become the stuff of popular folklore and legend. I say popular because Garthausen could also be referred to as the French Robin Hood.
1: Oh my god. I just want to say a note here. Pretty much all of these highwaymen are the Robin Hood of their time.
0: Yeah, cool dudes, robbing from the rich, giving to the poor. We're we're going to come across a couple of reasons why that doesn't really stand up. Um but but yeah, on the face of it you could compare him to France's Robin Hood. Uh he's been immortalized in movies such as the 1962 Swashbuckler Cartouche and even a mention in the video game Assassin's Creed Unity. I should point out that Cartouche is a French movie. Uh, and I watched a trailer for it, and it, it looks like some real slapstick fun. Could not tell you what was going on uh, because my French is not bomb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Oh, wow. Do you speak French? Oui. Are you from France? <laughs> oh, oui, oui. Okay.
1: Uh, sec, uh, yep. sec de magique.
0: Oh, I don't think I'd like to, <laughs> but okay. Uh, so, back to Garthausen, aka. Bourguignon, aka Cartouche, he had a lot of different uh lot of different nicknames. He operated in France during the Regency of Louis XV. By the time he was a teenager, he was already part of a criminal gang, and by his twenties he was in charge of the Cur de Miracles gang, which I think just means the Course of Miracles.
1: The Miracle Gang.
0: I know, but it could be one of those things like when a gang has not a very tough sounding name, mm-hmm. but they're actually like you really don't want to fuck with them. Like the Latin Kings, when you think about it, should be like super like camp and like super. Or they're like, just a fabulous. bunch of uh,
1: drag kings, you know, women who dress up as men.
0: Yes, aha, uh-huh. but you again would not want to fuck with them. Your your body will end up buried in an undisclosed location. So he uh, he was in charge of the Cause de Miracales gang, and he operated on the Paris to Versailles route. So for those who don't know, uh, Paris and Versailles at this time would have been, uh, Versailles especially, would have been an incredibly wealthy part of the country. So if you're going to go robbing people, that's probably where the best pickings are.
1: Sure, you're robbing all the nobles on their way to the palace, basically.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... According to one source, Garthausen was sent to the Jesuit College of Claremont to study theology and the classics, which just sounds like a rip-roaring time. His religious training seemed to have backfired, however, as his apparent indifference to his studies may have been part of what led him to a life of crime.
1: Fuck the Bible. Yeah. I'm gonna go steal some shit.
0: And he's literally holding somebody up with the <laughs> with the Bible. He's got a copy of the King got, James Bible, Bible.
1: He's just got a sharpened cross that he's using.
0: <laughs> Don't move, punk! <laughs> I know what you're asking yourself: <laughs> Will he stab me in the eye, or will he stab me in the nose? And the truth is, both. <laughs> the truth is, it's your tent. I'm going to stab you in the tent. So just fucking get ready, huh? So, uh, Garthausen was known for his strong moral principles and his concept of loyalty and honour, as strange as that might sound for a career criminal. Uh, for example, he was known to rob wealthy mansions and then distribute the takings amongst the poor. In one instance, he was also purported to have saved a suicidal merchant who had gone bankrupt by paying off his creditors, before robbing the money back, of course.
1: So, I think... This is kind of common in Highwaymen and maybe criminals of a certain time period. Like, um I can't remember the name of one of, like, the f- most famous bank robbers in the U.S. in, like, the 30s, where he would, when they robbed a bank, what he would do is come and take all the mortgages of people in the bank and rip them up so the bank couldn't take money from them anymore. Yeah. And it's not just that these people are like, oh, wow, what a Robin Hood. What a great person. They're doing it to earn the loyalty of the people who could possibly turn them in.
0: Yeah. So this is the era before fingerprinting, the era before CCTV. So if you're going to get caught, chances are it's because you're going to get dobbed in by a local inn owner who doesn't like you. So why not win him over? And that way you've got sort of like fellow accomplices. It's also something anytime you see the police operating to try and catch criminals and they have to go into the areas where they live and operate, you'll see a lot of people who don't want to, uh, don't want to work with the police or help the police out because they could be next. They could be the next people to be targeted.
1: When the mafia came to power, they brought a kind of like stability and kind of peacekeeping. Mm -hmm. You know, they were, they were policing the area and therefore A lot of people didn't want to bring them in, not just because, well, you know, my wife is going to be murdered if I talk to the police, but also because the police weren't coming into this area. You know, they weren't doing anything to help us. So why should I give them up to them?
0: I think we saw something similar last year during the first wave of COVID infections in places like South Africa you saw some of the most powerful gangs in the region coming together to help distribute food and supplies where local authorities were unable to do so. So there is this idea of Garthausen being the people's champion. In fact, there was one uh, source that I read that said that at carnival time, he would organize the burning of effigies of local nobles. So I think, again, this made him kind of a kind of a people pleaser. Mm. So back to Garthausen. Before you start campaigning for a statue or a public holiday in his name, just know that in other reports, his gang targeted his soon-to-be brother-in-law. So basically, he his sister uh, had an arranged marriage. And this was, I think, his... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, when you get initiated into a gang, like, you get beat into the gang? Okay. Right, so they basically told him, okay, we know that you're going to be marrying into this rich family... What we want is for you to help us set up the would-be, like, the suit-to-be husband, essentially. He's going to come over. We're going to rob all his riches. So they snuck into the husband-to-be's bedroom in the middle of the night, him and his gang, and they set about picking the lock on his trunk. The soon to be husband woke up, saw what they were doing, but kind of just watched them at work, and then before they were able to open the trunk, he shouted, I don't know, like, mon dieu and they ran out of the room. Garthausen thought he had gotten away with it, but at uh the I think at the wedding reception he then turned around to Garthausen's father and was like, Uh, your your son is a criminal.
1: Your son's a piece of shit.
0: Your son's kind of an asshole, yeah. Worse still, he apparently earned his position as captain of his gang after the previous captain, quote, vowed that when he, the captain, died, Cartouche would infallibly be called to command of the gang. So, Garthausen promptly stabbed him in the heart and told the rest of the crew that he had killed the old gaffer in self-defense. Wow. (laughs) What a guy. So imagine if, like... Never
1: name your successor.
0: Right, exactly. So imagine if like uh, Robin Hood and Will Scarlet are like in charge of the Merry Men, and Will Scarlet's getting like a little bit too big <laughs> for his boots, so he just like garroted him behind a tree, and then he was like, "Oh no!" The sheriff of Nottingham arrived, and he and he choked Will Scarlet to death. So uh, yeah, not as cool of a dude as as we might have initially thought. Also, apparently, the gang kind of knew that they that he killed the uh, the old leader.
1: But they were cool with it.
0: Well, they were like, well, clearly this Gartheus and this cartouche guy isn't to be fucked with. So, okay, you can be in charge of the gang.
1: You seem pretty unstable, my friend. So why don't you just step right up?
0: You seem pretty scummy. But you're our kind of <laughs> you are kind of scum. You are kind of scum. I am so sorry to all of our French listeners. We are trying to establish an international base of listeners and we are doing a great job.
1: Yes. So yes. you're welcome.
0: Yes. So uh yeah, so not not that great of a guy. Fast forward to 1721, after his eventual betrayal and capture, Garthausen was incarcerated at the Grand Châtelet prison, which sounds pretty fancy, right? Like, if you had to be put into prison, Whoa. you'd probably want to go to the Grand Châtelet.
1: The Grand Châtelet, of course.
0: Uh, j'ai l'air. Uh, probleme. Uh, The light in uh, my chandelier has gone out, so I can barely see uh, my lobster thermidor, so uh, uh, what do you think, Uh, can we do something about this, uh, Chop Chop, or may we?
1: Actually, you're uh, a little closer than you think, because lobster used to be given to prisoners. Because they thought it Sick. was <laughs> they thought it was kind of disgusting, like it was like a bug in the seas I and... mean
0: they, they are sea bugs, yeah,
1: so they used to give lobster to prisoners,
0: you know, yeah, and, but then like one prisoner was like making um basically like the butter equivalent of like toilet wine. he mm-hmm. was making like toilet butter, and then he dipped his lobster in it and he was like, ah oh, this fucking shit oh, yo. Yeah. Oh my god, what is what is this heavenly delight? <laughs> and as soon and as, as, as soon he did as that... And as soon as they
1: saw a smile start to form on the prisoner's face, they ripped all of the lobster out of their hands. The
0: fucking lobster, I
1: And then drowned them in toilet butter.
0: Porridge from now on for you, you buttery bastard. Uh, so despite being, so he's, he's shacked up at the uh, Grand uh, Châtelet prison, uh, despite being placed in chains, he still managed to tunnel his way out of his cell.
1: With what? Uh,
0: so I, I'm not sure with what implement he used, but the, he, he saw that some of the mortar around the bricks was a little bit loose and was really impressive. And one account I read was that he was um, shackled with one hand in front of his body, one hand behind his body. So, yeah, he, he's really doing some, I don't, I don't know if it's yoga Gymnastics. or Pilates, <laughs> but he, he's, he's very supple. Um, <laughs> so he managed to tunnel his way out of the cell. Uh, however, he tunneled into a nearby shop basement and uh, the barking of the, the shop owner's dog uh, awoke in the family and he was immediately captured and led back to authorities. So, no, not the best lock in the world.
1: It's kind of like when you tunnel from one prison cell into another. You're like, ah, freedom! And it's just like the guard's room.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and then the and then the guard wakes up and you're like, so, like, are you up now? Do you want to... I'm
1: just here to fix your
0: chandelier. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the, the bulb get uh, right on that museum. Um, so here is where Garterhausen's adherence to loyalty comes into focus. He was apparently tortured repeatedly, including having his legs placed in the boot. Do you know what the boot is?
1: I don't know, but I'm gonna assume it's either some sort of crushing device or something with spikes.
0: Yeah, you got it. It could be both. The idea is that, um, immense pressure is placed on the, the lower leg and the foot, um, and they just increase the pressure until, until you start yapping.
1: Human beings are trash.
0: Yeah, we're not great, are we? Uh so he got the boot, by which I mean he he didn't lose his <laughs> job. Get
1: kicked right out of the prison.
0: Yeah, they That's just what have... you get
1: for trying to escape.
0: <laughs> and don't you come back. Wait a hmm. minute. Uh so uh so yeah, they give him the boot in order to uh give up the names of his accomplishments. but he uh
1: For the lobster, we really want to know, how are you making the lobster so delicious?
0: (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So uh, he wouldn't give up the name of his accomplices, uh, and he would not relinquish any information on their identities. That was until November 17th, when he was finally led to the scaffold to be hanged. Perhaps he had been holding out hope for the members of his gang to spring him. But either way, when he was being led to the noose, he folded like a hot Mars bar and started pouring out names, a process that apparently lasted the rest of the night.
1: Oh, you know he's dragging that out.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) Uh, And then there was um, Tom. Uh,
0: But uh, he's been with
1: the two M's.
0: (laughs) Yeah. uh, Well, we also call him Big Tom. But it's, uh, you know, kind of ironic because he's, uh, you know, he's pretty average. Uh, and, uh, well, then says Little Tom. Let me tell you, uh, Little Tom said the funniest thing. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, mon dieu. Just write it down. It could be important. Go on. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he, I mean... It, of course, you're gonna drag that out. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he's just making up names, and then he's just naming things. About, and then there was, uh, b- uh, broom, uh, uh, broom andel.
1: Toilet toi- butter, b- butter. <laughs> are
0: you, are you just saying toilet butter?
1: Oh no, his his name is Toy. His his middle name is Leb Okay. Turk
0: all right, so just to be clear, is he Mr. Toilet-Pater or doctor or just uh, uh, some mo- kind of monsieur. honorific?
1: Monsieur. Monsieur.
0: Ah, may we, may we. Monsieur Toilet, uh... Are you sh- This looks an awful lot like Oh, you yes, a bitch! Oh, oh you got said I'm going to miss you after we hang you. So, uh, so yeah, he, uh, he starts pouring out names, real, fake, who knows, but it lasted until the following day. And, uh, unfortunately for Garthausen, his last minute compliance did not earn him his freedom or even much of a delay in sentencing. The following day, he was again led to the executioner's business suite for an even worse execution, being broken on the wheel.
1: Why? I mean, like, this is why you always make sure of the terms of agreement before you sign.
0: I don't know that he had terms of agreement. I don't think at any point they were like, sure. oh yeah, like give us some names, we'll get out of here scot-free. I think they were like, give us some names and we'll, we'll kill you a little bit faster.
1: But they didn't.
0: <laughs> no, they definitely did not. So he, he was broken on the... There's a few different uh, versions of the story. So in, in one version of the story, he, um, he was uh, basically partially hanged. Uh, In another version of the story, they thought they had only partially hanged him, but his noose was rigged in such a way that it broke his neck immediately. So what they were then doing was essentially executing his dead body again. In another version of the story, he was flayed. He was basically skinned alive. But all the versions uh, essentially agree that eventually he was... uh... Do do you know what being broken on the wheel means?
1: So it's like... a. a like a rounded kind of structure that they pull your arms and legs in different directions, right? Yeah,
0: literally like a wagon wheel. And mm-hmm. so it's got nothing to do with like losing all your money on Wheel of Fortune.
1: Or roulette.
0: Yeah, although many a man, I'm sure, has been has been broken on, on the roulette wheel before. Sure, sure. Yeah. yeah, they just like made him keep stumping up money and betting on black. <laughs> no, please, <laughs> I'm 50 grand in the hole. Let me bet on red just one time. <laughs>
1: But it was rigged.
0: Yeah. 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 Uh, No, being being broken on the wheel, as you said, means being tied to a massive wagon wheel uh, with your limbs at different angles and then just being bludgeoned to death. Uh, So it's, yeah, it's not a great way to go.
1: Is there a great way to go?
0: Um...
1: I mean, okay, I guess if you're hanged and they break your neck instantly, but there's so many cases of, like being hanged and then you're just like suffocating right and then you can like pull the noose from your neck and give yourself some more air and then you're suffocating again
0: smothered with puppies no no
1: because think of the psychological damage you'd be doing to those poor puppies
0: they don't know any better they just think they just they just think you're really tired (laughs) just fell asleep uh drowning in treacle
1: Ugh. Never. Okay. okay. So tell me the end of the story. <laughs>
0: uh, so, yeah, he was beaten to death uh, and his body was left there for days afterwards and then his body was apparently collected by surgeons for dissection. I don't know if they specifically wanted criminals' bodies because I think this was before things like phrenology where they were studying the criminal anatomy for, you know, to determine what made people criminals. They just I just think... wanted to
1: see how big his dick was.
0: Yeah, they just, I think they just needed bodies for dissecting. So that's the story of our first Highwaymen. Uh...
1: What a romantic figure and yeah. a romantic way to die.
0: Absolutely broken on the wheel although i'm pretty sure there's probably a sub channel on on kink.com called broken on the wheel if there's not kink.com hit me up (laughs) think about it
1: (laughs) so while you think of some better ways to maybe be murdered um we're gonna take a short little break
0: all right guys see you soon back. I hope you enjoyed the break and you were uh, able to peruse some of kink.com's uh, back catalogue. Now that you've gotten that out of your system and you've got a nice clear head, uh, Alicia, why don't you tell us about our next highwayman?
1: Yeah, so Dick Turpin is probably the most famous highwayman certainly in, in the UK. So most of his life has been embellished and romanticized. He never had a horse named Black Bess and there wasn't a drop of a Robin Hood in him. In fact, he probably would have been forgotten if not for Harrison Ainsworth's popular 1834 novel, Rookwood. In it, he describes Turpin galloping north in the dark. His blood spins through his veins, winds round his heart, mounts to his brain. Away, away, he is wild with joy.
0: His blood spins through his veins? Does he have one of those like devices that Dick Cheney has instead of a heart? Is that... He he's got like a centrifuge instead of like a like an internal organ system. Is yeah, that yeah, that's on?
1: what he's getting at. That's exactly what Ainsworth is trying to Which say. Sounds
0: very dizzying.
1: That's sounds the point. Sounds very bad for you. Um, the highwayman character etched in Rookwood, as well as local narratives, poems, and ballads that sprung from it, granted Turpin a notorious posthumous status, according to the history press. Hmm. So this was like a hundred years after he died. In the hundred years before this novel was released, he was kind of a footnote in history and wasn't really well liked, and that's because he was kind of a dirtbag.
0: I, you have missed some really low-hanging fruit.
1: Kind of a dick, I know.
0: Oh my god, we should call you Dick Turpin. Like, huh, yeah, I know, because, like, I'm such a cool guy, so you would call me Dick, so, like, people... No, I'm such a cool guy. It's like haha. <laughs> ah, uh, love hanging out with you, Dick.
1: So Richard Turpin was born in the Essex village of Hem- of Hempstead in September 1705. At the age of sixteen, he was apprenticed to a butcher in Whitechapel, the very same Whitechapel which became infamous for Jack the Ripper in eighteen eighty eight. After five years he started his own butcher shop and married an innkeeper's daughter named Hester Palmer.
0: Hey, that's your name.
1: Yes, I am Hester
0: yes if your name was hester i don't think we'd be dating
1: wow i don't
0: mean to say like a snob but i just hester hester's like a big girl's name let's just wow no
1: no you
0: don't think also she's like, like you don't hear the name hester and you're like oh she's a she's a handsome lass that one with I mean, a, with it is certainly an
1: old-fashioned name, but if your name is Hester, please join me in telling Will to fuck off.
0: Hester, I'm sorry. Okay. Please don't strangle me with your massive hands.
1: So, he's all set up for this nice, normal life with poor Hester, who is the victim in the story.
0: I'm sorry. Again, I'm not trying to victim, but Hester, I'm sure, is a lovely girl. Now if she's a real shitbag, I'm gonna feel obliged to defend her and be like, not our Hester.
1: I uh, know, she's completely forgotten in the story after this. Oh, um, for Hester. Yeah. Well, good things never last. And when business is slow, good old Dickie supplements his income with some old-fashioned cow thieving.
0: Yeah, yeehaw.
1: But it turns out he wasn't a particularly gifted cattle thief, and he had to flee into rural Essex to avoid arrest.
0: What was giving it away was he like just draping tablecloths over them and putting like a little candle on top of them and being like, "What cow this is this is my table. I run a restaurant now in this field. It's a moving restaurant <laughs> it's It's a very hip new idea. Maybe you're just not on trend
1: yeah it's uh, it's a little too early in the time period for that. <laughs> you know he's like, you know in in a couple hundred years, you guys will all be on board."
0: Yeah, he's doing a Marty McFly in Back to the mm-hmm. Future. You kids are going to love it.
1: So he then began robbing smugglers on the East Anglia coast, sometimes p- posing as a revenue officer, but again was run out of town by both the smugglers and the customs office. He ended up hiding in Epping Forest. So as a side note, I looked up pictures of Epping Forest just to kind of set the scene. Sure. England, and probably Wales, Scotland, maybe Northern Ireland, has, has this like picturesque widely spaced woods there's no undergrowth just like wide lanes littered with fallen leaves Mm -hmm. and it's a lot easier to imagine someone fleeing into the forest on a horse with that in mind than the tangle of thorns bushes and black bears that i'm used to in the pacific northwest
0: yeah can't forget them bears
1: yeah but i i guess when the first time i ever saw a forest like that i thought it was like a i saw it in a movie and i thought it was just like
0: something something out of winnie the pooh right Yeah,
1: that's like a movie a movie forest that's not real okay but the fact that there's just like no undergrowth in the forest was
0: so we we used to have a lot of that i think before um before the population boom that predated the medieval era but in places like scotland all the ancient caledonian forest was was cleared by the nobles and so what we have now is relative new growth even though it's you know, several hundred years old at this point, but that's why you have those uniform lines of of pine and spruce trees.
1: Yeah, Uh, they, they really wanted to go grouse and pheasant hunting.
0: Yeah, which, oh my God, don't even get me started on that. Like the whole reason that Scotland, if you just imagine like Scottish countryside in your mind, it's not typically full of trees. It's typically full of... Heather. Yes, full of heather. And so it has this barren almost burnt look to it because what do grouse and pheasant love um they love heather they they love heather and gorse and things like that so you so they allow that growth they burn it off every season so it will regrow just so that people can like fucking put on their purse sh- and go shoot birds run around the hills shootin'. shooting yeah and uh, okay maybe i shouldn't be complaining because it's great for the economy i i, I imagine but I don't know, man. It just, stay out of our woods, dudes. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. Carry on. Get
1: out of my woods. So it's here in Epping Forest that Turpin joins the Gregory gang, a group of burglars. Sure. According to Stephen Wade in his book, Hanged at York, with Gregory, the leader of the gang, he robbed a farmhouse and and poured boiling water over the owner, an old man, and raped a woman there. His image in contemporary Jesus terms Christ. was rarely glamorized. He was once depicted in a woodcut throwing an old lady onto a fire. His first murder was of a man named Tom Morris, a servant who recognized him as a robber. So as far as I can tell, this woodcut comes from a story where Turpin held an innkeeper over her fire until she told him where she had hidden her savings.
0: Right. Woodcuts being the contemporary version of memes.
1: Uh, yeah, or postcards.
0: Have you seen that woodcut? It's so funny. You know that one woodcut? It's, and it's like it's, it's like the, the woman pointing at the cat and the cat's like, eh. you know, that's my favorite woodcut.
1: Yeah, it's good. Um, another example from the book Dick Turpin by James Sharp. The gang had set their sights on Joseph Lawrence, a 70-year-old farmer. When he refused to give up the location of his valuables, they, like, they took his breeches and pulled them down to his ankles to stop okay. him from being able to run away. Turpin beat his bare buttocks until they were severely bruised, and the other gang members beat the old man about the head with their pistols. A kettle of water was emptied over his head, and he was sat bare buttocked on the fire in an effort to make him talk. After this, he was pulled round the house alternatively by his his nose or his hair, by Fielder, Rose, and Turpin. Meanwhile, upstairs, Gregory was raping a maidservant named Dorothy.
0: I just want to backtrack a little bit to the old man and his bare buttocks. Mm-hmm. You know that he was going, while that was going on, he was going through cycles of like, no, no, please don't. Ooh, a little bit to the left. Oh, no, no. A little bit harder. Oh, please don't. Grab the riding crop.
1: Yeah, yeah, until they throw him into the fire.
0: It's like, oh, ah! Ooh, it's warm. My safe word, my safe word.
1: Um, so yeah, these these weren't great guys.
0: Yeah, I'm getting that vibe. And the Gregories, were they were they men with the surname Gregory? Or were they so just there like were... a, a group of men with the first name Gregory?
1: Yeah. There were two brothers, and they were kind of the leaders of the gang. They were the Gregory brothers. And then everybody else, there was, from what I can tell, like a fairly large roster in this gang. There may have been like a woman, several several men, and like, of course, Dick Turpin. A real um,
0: rogues' gallery.
1: Sure, eventually the Gregory gang would find themselves with prices on their head ranging from fifty to a hundred pounds. Best as I can tell, in today's money, that's equivalent to anywhere from ten thousand to twenty thousand pounds. Ah.
0: Um, you definitely won't have the twenty thousand pounds.
1: Sure. Either way, head. it's it's no measly sum. Three members of the gang were caught and hanged, but not Slippery Turpin. He had dreams, dreams of being a star. Well, at least robbing. He yeah, dreams of robbing.
0: Rob, robbing a star. Yeah. Even the name Turp. there's something about the name Turpin, maybe it's because it sounds like Turpin time, but yeah. he, he sounds like a very slippery character.
1: Sure. Um, he gets away with, uh, for, for a while. In the summer of 1735, Turpin began working with Thomas Rowden, one of the last free men from the Gregory gang. And they began robbing people in the Barnes Common area. But Rowden was imprisoned for passing counterfeit coins under an alias and was soon discovered to be a member of the Gregory Gang and thus sent away to Virginia.
0: Like Virginia, the USA, Virginia.
1: Yeah, as in the colonies. So he was sentenced to be hanged and then the judge showed clemency and instead sent him to the colonies.
0: Was this... because I know uh, people joke about a lot how Australia was founded by criminals because... The practice at the time was if you did something wrong, you get sent to Australia. Were they doing the same thing with the U.S.?
1: Yeah. Uh, a lot of criminals were sent to the U.S. to, like, start over or or work. I don't know if they worked as indentured servants or or if they were just, like, sent over there. As in, like, well, your punishment is you get to live a new life, but it's, it's going to be in Virginia.
0: Mm-hmm. But that could be all right. If you like tobacco farming.
1: Yeah, I mean... I think it it could be fine, but if what you're used to is like a built-up city like London and you don't have any practical skills like farming.
0: The weather here is too enjoyable. I don't like how warm it is on my skin. I want to go back. It's not damp enough. My lungs are clearing and I don't like it.
1: (laughs) Yeah, but think of the winters in Virginia as opposed to the winters in London.
0: Yeah, that's true. I guess if you're not... I like snow. I know you aren't a fan of the cold, but I...
1: I... I'm not a fan of the cold. As in, I'm not a fan when my house is cold. Okay. I I mean, I grew up in... Pl- <laughs> I grew up in a place where sometimes we get, like, five feet of snow.
0: I mean, that's pretty cool. I grew up in a place where if you get, like, a couple of inches of snow, the kids, would, like, run in to, like, dig out their sleds... And they're, like, trying to make snowmen out of, like, just the the dirty crap that's left at the side of the road.
1: We used to um hitch our sleds to the back of a snowmobile. Yeah. And then uh, my dad would drive us up and down the street on a snowmobile.
0: I mean, that sounds like the kind of thing that, that parents would throw a shit fit about nowadays. Like, yeah, your dad sure. would end up getting sued by one of the other parents. But that that just sounds like fun parenting.
1: I mean, it was great back in the day.
0: Yeah, back in the day. Anyway, speaking of back in the day.
1: <laughs> Way back in the day. So after Rowden is sent away to Virginia, uh, Dick Turpin joined up with another highwayman in 1737. So there's a gap here where Turpin kind of tries to lie low for a while. He hides for a bit. He kind of, like, stops being a highwayman. He's probably still Robin and thieving. let's be honest. But he You kind got of, a taste for it now.
0: Yeah.
1: He, he kind of wanders a bit. And then in, like... Two years later, he kind of shows back up again.
0: Sure. Okay. You try and live that, that straight edge life, mm. you know, working that nine to five, punching that clock, wearing that tie. Can't do it, man. Can't keep me down.
1: That cravat. So Dick Turpin joined up with another highwayman, Tom King, sometimes called the Gentleman Highwayman, due to his liking of expensive clothes and horses. Also, his real name his real name was Matthew.
0: Yeah, I don't Tom, know. short for Matthew. you never friends with the Tom in school, but his, his real name's Matthew?
1: Yeah, all the time. Um, yeah.
0: It's like when somebody's called Bob, but it's short for Mesopotamia. <laughs> right?
1: So, some of the reports I found said that Dick tried to rob Tom King, thinking that he was, like, uh, a wealthy man coming down the road, and so he says, like, Stand and deliver. And Tom King is like, what? A dog eat a dog. As in, you know, we're both highwaymen. Let's game recognized up. <laughs> game. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That must have been really fun when it was like, I'm here on business. I, I also am in business. Are you doing business?
1: Right now?
0: I might be doing business. On the count of three... Let's say, what kind of business we're doing? One, two, three. Business. Male escort. Uh, <laughs> high high women. Uh, high highwaymen.
1: Yeah, same I'm thing. A same thing. Um, so the pair they they kind of rob for a while, and then they end up stealing this horse named White Stockings, named of course for its big old white stockings, like the markings on their legs. I
0: thought you just had a kink.
1: Yeah um he just loves he likes white tennis shoes and long white stockings Mm. so they steal this horse which i think is it's either like a prize horse or like a race horse or something like that sure and it's like a very distinctive looking horse and they just kind of take it to london and put it in a stable at an solid, inn. solid plan. And so the guy whose horse has been robbed is like telling people, so people are going around looking for the horse, and they see it in a stable in an inn in
0: Whitechapel. It's just a a normal looking horse, but it's got like suspiciously black legs, and there's like a tin of black paint in the stable.
1: You would think that they would they would, cause like that that was common practice is to take like grease or like um some kind of colorant to like color away markings, okay, but they're just so dumb they just don't give a fuck
0: no, this is our horse black black stockings black,
1: black stockings as He's... you can
0: see from its black stockings
1: it's no no, don't touch I- them I like that. it name it is
0: yeah, <laughs> you know, like. Irony, like, uh, like an iron.
1: Like horseshoes.
0: Yeah, they're irony.
1: So it was pretty easily found, and a fight erupts wherein King cries out to, cries out, Dick, shoot them or we are taken by God. And Dick takes out his pistol and fires two shots into Tom King. Accidentally.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quote, unquote. Oh, Um, no. Bang. Oh, no, Tom. I'm so sorry. Oh, I missed. Bang. Oh, Tom. I'm such a clumsy fool.
1: uh, And then King says, Dick, you have killed me. And then Dick Turpin runs away or he rides his horse away. And it turns out Tom King lives for another week, in which case he calls Turpin a coward.
0: I'm going to tell you two reasons why that didn't happen, right? Number one, why would you... That's that's like writing exposition rule number one. Show, don't tell. If you are like bleeding profusely from your bullet holes, you're not going to be like, Dick, you killed me because it's apparent. Number two, somebody just shot you two times. So you're not going to be like, Oh, dude, you killed me. You're going to be like, motherfucker.
1: <laughs> Alas, for I am shot.
0: Dick, come closer. Uh, you, you son of a fucking dickhead. <laughs> <laughs> fucking kill you.
1: Um, yeah, so, King eventually dies of his wounds, and I guess there's, like, a couple sources of later, Dick Turpin's like, I was my best friend, and I killed him. Turpin returned to Epping Forest, where he had a hiding place in a cave. It had, in some reports, a bed, some wine, some new shirts, so just, like, all the essentials.
0: Yeah, obviously. Bed, wine, bed wine, shirts,
1: wine shirts,
0: (laughs) shirt wine.
1: Would you let me finish? (laughs) (laughs) Wine colored shirts. Yes. Um, So, he, he obviously had heat on him, so he has to vacate this cave. And as he's kind of leaving, there's a man named Tom Morris, who we mentioned earlier. Tom Morris is a servant of one of the keepers of the forest.
0: Mm-hmm. So just to clarify, his name is short for... Gregory. Ah, yes, obviously. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I'm Gregory, <laughs> but my friends call me Tom. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And I'm Gregory, but my friends call me Thomas. Greg. Thomas Greg. I fucked it up. <laughs>
0: <laughs> We're the Gregory boys.
1: <laughs> hey. Um,
0: so Tom, so Tom, <laughs> Tom Morris, Morris who it? is actually called Tom.
1: Yeah, his real name is probably Tom. Mm-hmm. So he's a servant to one of the keepers of the forest, who's like, stopped people from poaching in the forest, you mm-hmm. know, all that kind of stuff. And he kind of... <sighs> poor Tom, because he's like, he sees Dick Turpin, and he's like, I know who you are. Like, I'm going to arrest you. And Dick Turpin's like, ah. Oh oh, I'm so sorry, like, I think you have me mistaken by someone else, and he's just kind of, like, biding time, and then he grabs a pistol and
0: kills Tom. Yeah, he is the dude in the movie who you'd be like, don't fucking, you're the first one to get killed in the horror movie, Tom, if that don't was your real name.
1: let him talk.
0: <laughs> yeah, this Dick Turpin sounds like a real Loki motherfucker, but not uh, as charming as, as Loki.
1: Yeah, yeah, he's a real piece of shit. So he then does some more robbing, be- before it comes, like you know, too hot, and he's gotta,
0: he's gotta scram. God, this robbery is so hot. <laughs> he's mm. just dressed head, <laughs> head to toe in leather. Uh, you know, he's got like a like a bull whip on his hip, and
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm always covered in sweat. Ah. But thankfully, the new. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Do, do you want a do-over? <laughs> yeah, 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 Take it
0: from the top. Thank you. Five, uh, six, seven.
1: Covered in sweat. Oh, this leather is making me so hot. Thank God for this new talcum powder.
0: Mmm. Nailed it. Yeah.
1: Okay, so he eventually finds himself in the Yorkshire village of Broch. Broch. Bro, Bro, oh, Brow.
0: Are you asking if I want to go to the gym and lift? <laughs> hey, bro. uh How do you... How are we spelling that? Okay, B-R-O-U-G-H. I mean, I stand corrected. I, <laughs> Thank that, you
1: very much. I yeah. can only be like
0: Broch. So, the West Yorkshire village of Bruh.
1: Yeah, bruh. where he sets himself up as John Palmer.
0: I'm John Palmer, bro. <laughs> bruh.
1: A horse and cattle dealer, bruh. Yeah, he's a horse and cattle dealer.
0: My name is John Palmer, and I'm selling these protein shakes. They will get you super ripped.
1: It's just cow's <laughs> milk.
0: I've. It's horse milk from my surreptitiously designated horse, Black Stockings. Don't touch his legs. <laughs> Don't touch those legs.
1: So, according to the History Press, one day in October 1738, as he and some friends were returning from a shooting trip a little worse for drink, Turpin impulsively shot one of his landlord's Gamecocks.
0: Hey. A. <laughs> nope, let it go. just carry on.
1: And when told by a companion that he had done a foolish thing, drunkenly replied, Wait until I have recharged my piece and I will shoot you too.
0: But what a comedy of error is that going to (laughs) be? He shot me cock! (laughs) What? The landlord's cock! Me cock! Look! I'll show you me cock! Oh, that's a bird. (laughs) Oh, that's still bad.
1: I just need a second to calm down, though.
0: Let me just process this information. Okay. Everyone knows that you can't go on a shooting trip without a little booze. Yeah, sure. Guns, alcohol.
1: Healthy mix. N- natural
0: bad fellows.
1: So he's arrested and makes his fatal mistake. He writes to his brother-in-law in the hopes that his brother-in-law will find some character witnesses for him.
0: Hmm, okay.
1: Yeah, because we, we all know Turpin's, like, left a bunch of friends in his wake.
0: But you know he is one of those assholes. He sounds like such a narcissist. He'd be like, but I'm Dick Turpin. Everybody loves me. Like that guy I shot in the cock. Or that other guy I shot two times. And then he told me he I had killed him. Best my, friends.
1: Some of my best friends.
0: <laughs> some of my best friends. I didn't even try to murder them.
1: Okay, uh, so he writes to his brother-in-law in the hopes of finding character witnesses. But in a twist of fate, Turpin's former schoolmaster, James Smith, saw the letter and recognized the handwriting to be that of Turpin's.
0: Ah, shit. And you know he wasn't any good at school either. Yeah. You know he was, he was that one kid, the schoolmaster was like, I can't, I can't wait to see you, like, at Tesco, packing my bags.
1: But how distinctive must his writing have been? Like okay sure it's a small village that he grew up in. Everybody knows everybody, but does everybody really remember? Does your schoolmaster remember your handwriting from thirty years ago?
0: My name is Dick Turpin. The the I in Dick is it's a little heart instead of a dot. No,
1: I've put I've put a little pistol on the top of the dot.
0: No reason. I just like pistols. Don't read too much into that. And the R is also shaped like a pistol. No, they are unrelated.
1: And the N is me fucking somebody.
0: <laughs> just I'm looking at your letter here, and and it's and it's real gross. It's just a shopping list, but it's very it's the handwriting, sir. is very gratuitous. Filthy. Yeah, I can't. Uh, here you are. I, I can't. I can't sell you fruit and veg today.
1: Okay, so in York. Uh, In the April of 1739, the pocked Mark former butcher donned a new frock and pair of pumps, which would have been low heels at the time. (laughs) Okay, sorry, sorry.
0: Give me that again. What's he he wearing? So he's no longer wearing the hot leather.
1: He's got a new frock coat. Got it. And a pair of pumps.
0: Sounds sexy as all get out.
1: I just imagine him doing one of those like one leg straight, one leg like pumped up arched back.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay, so he's wearing his best blouse and his fuck-me heels. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And he paid five professional mourners, three pounds and ten shillings, to follow him in his cart to the gallows.
0: That's how to do it.
1: Yeah, I mean, he ain't got any other friends,
0: so... And then he comes in, like, Logan Paul, like, his last boxing match, with, like, his hype crew behind him. Sure. I'll, I'll pay you a couple of shillings extra to shout, Woo, boy, go, yeah, go. <laughs>
1: So, uh, he was led to the gallows, nicknamed the Three-Legged Mare.
0: So, I mean, there's been so many dicks and cocks in this story. Is he...
1: No, he's not nicknamed the Three-Legged Mare. The gallows itself is, because it's, like, three, uh, it's instead of, like, four, like...
0: Yeah? Prong- prongs?
1: <laughs> yeah, four, um, Christ. Legs? Yeah. Yeah? Uh, it just has three. Stabilizers. Stabilizers.
0: You're, you're on that. Oh, you're still on those kiddies' gallows.
1: Mm-hmm. Your,
0: your gallows have stabilizers. I'm on the big boy gallows. <laughs> I can hang myself all by myself.
1: Ooh, um, yeah. Well, spoiler alert, he does. Uh, he's oh. led to the gallows and he turns to say a few words to the hangman and then threw himself off the ladder and died immediately.
0: Fuck you. Fuck <laughs> you. Fuck all of you. Bye.
1: <laughs> Crack. Yeah, so that's the story of Dick Turpin. He then of course becomes famous a uh, hundred years later and is turned into this like really romantic figure who rides back black bus from York to London or London to York. Yeah. And like to the like to the extent that his loyal horse like dies of exhaustion.
0: Sure. But they've got the rail strikes on and stuff, so it's difficult. You can't even... Do you know how much it is for a rail ticket from uh, York to London And I'll be
1: damned if I'm taking a bus.
0: Yeah. Forget business class. Forget getting one of those quiet coaches. No, you're going to have to take your horse and then exhaust it to death.
1: Yeah, ride it to death.
0: Yeah. And then paint its legs. No matter how many go-faster stripes you paint on those legs, there's just... I mean, you know.
1: That's because you should have painted them on the body. Yeah. Everybody knows that. You know, paint the Go Fast Me stripes on the wheels.
0: Yeah. Lead poisoning uh, does nothing to make a horse go faster. It just makes it kind of woozy, actually.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but it sure feels great in its last moments.
0: <laughs> it sure does. It sure does. It's
1: like the, um, what is it, like the 1904 Olympics where the guy's on like rat poison as he's running the marathon.
0: Oh. Oh, yeah. Maybe we'll cover that yeah. in a future episode. <laughs> May- Stay tuned. Yeah, M M is for marathon, like the world's worst marathon. (laughs) All right, so would this be a good time for a break? I think so. Yeah, let's take a let's take a good old break. We're here, and now that we've uh, belched up all the pizza that we had for lunch, we're ready to dive into our next highwayman, or should I say woman yeah, yeah, because this this one's
1: this one's a lady
0: it's a, it's a lady uh, all right, so uh, let me tell you the story of lady Catherine Ferers, aka the wicked lady. <laughs> We're not exactly sure where this moniker comes from. It's not that she was just a a real bad lady. We think that it might have been given to her hundreds of years after her death. Uh, But regardless, Lady Catherine Ferrer, sometimes known as the Wicked uh, wicked Lady, was a highway woman who robbed travellers in no man's land common, Hertfordshire, in the mid-1600s.
1: But how is she robbing people? Because there's no men there.
0: Uh... (laughs) Ha <laughs> ha! Uh. It is spelled "No Man's Land." Common, I'm not exactly sure where that name comes from, but she sure found someone to rob. So we're thinking of um lady criminals.
1: Mm-hmm. Who who
0: immediately jumps into your mind when you think of lady criminals?
1: Um, the woman in Australia who killed her husband and then boiled his face, and there's, like, blood all over the
0: Catherine... house. Catherine.
1: Yeah, Catherine something.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or,
1: um... Eileen Warnos. Yeah, there's a couple, like, female pirates that are pretty cool. Yeah. We talked it, about uh, Chen Shi before.
0: Yeah, in our Boudicca episode. mm mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I think some of the intrigue that surrounds the story of Catherine Ferrer's is because of her gender. And basically, if she were a guy, I don't think she would have got the notoriety that that she that she has gotten off the back of the story. Sure.
1: I mean, any female criminal, I think people are like, oh, really? Yeah. Um, because people just don't see women that way. But mm-hmm. especially in the time period that she lived in, which is the 1600s. Yeah. Like, there's no way that you would have seen, like, a delicate woman as... Like a highwayman.
0: Yeah, 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 of course. So the legend or perhaps myth of the Wicked Lady has it all. Money, romance, and bloodshed. I like it. Mm.
1: Send it to print.
0: Perhaps most titillating of all, it has a lady criminal clutches at pearls. (laughs) I actually wrote clutches at pearls. (laughs) Catherine. You're a disgrace. I know. Catherine was born in 1634 in Bayford, Hertfordshire, into less than ideal circumstances. Her family were royalists who had supported and experienced the favour of both Henry VIII and Edward VI, and as a result had been gifted a sizable estate.
1: Okay, so she comes from money, but this time period is not great to be a royalist.
0: Yes, that's true, Uh, and we'll we'll cover why in, in a short moment. So, uh, Catherine's father had passed away before her birth, I think just a couple of weeks before she was born, and her brother died at a young age, so she was declared sole inheritor of their lands. Her widowed mother married a man named Simon Fanshawe before herself passing away in 1642. The family moved to Oxford to support the war effort for Charles I, while her stepfather joined in the fighting and was eventually captured in battle. Now, for those who don't know, the English Civil War, or sometimes uh, the Thirty-Year War, as it was called, did not end well for the the royalists and their supporters. The king eventually came back to the throne, but in the interim, the... Charlie II. Yeah, Charles II, but in the intervening years, it was very bad to be supporting the the royal cause.
1: Sure. Cromwell.
0: Yeah, I actually don't know a lot about this period of time. I know a little bit about the aftermath because the, the rise of Cromwell and the effect that it had on the royal family is what read, led to the first and eventually the second Jacobite uprisings, which changed Scottish history. So we cover a little bit about that in school. Had you heard anything about this before?
1: So I did AP uh, European History. Okay. In, in high school, and my teacher was English. And we covered Cromwell. And basically, Cromwell is like a very religious figure. He's kind of like puritanical. And this is like what the, the round heads and the. What's it called?
0: Yes, the round heads versus the other heads, <laughs> the big heads, the short heads,
1: the feathered heads. Uh, um, guys,
0: please at us at uh, ETRH, the pod. On social medias um, so
1: cromwell was like a general who then kind of like deposed the king and kind of took over like mm-hmm. for for a while the i was almost just gonna say england but like the whole territory england controlled was no longer a monarchy
0: yeah uh, including ireland so it had a big yeah. effect on um on on modern ireland to this mm-hmm. day and
1: and cromwell actually We'll talk about it in a little bit because I have an Irish highwayman coming up. Cromwell actually went to uh, Ireland to, like, take down an uprising.
0: Yeah. Yeah, all good stuff. Uh, So, for the Royalists and their supporters, it wasn't a great time. Under the Sequestration Committee that was organized by Parliament, Parliamentarian forces were authorized to confiscate lands and assets owned by the opposing Royalists, In the case of Catherine and her family, in the case of Catherine and her family, this meant that they had to hand over much of their wealth to the parliamentarian forces. In the manner of the time, this meant that it was time for an arranged marriage to bolster the family's income. And so in 1648, at the age of 14, Catherine was married off to her stepfather's nephew, Thomas Fanshawe. Uh, So before you start saying, did it get incesty? No, these people weren't related so it was her stepfather's nephew
1: but she's still 14 and that's gross
0: still 14 but that's practically 40 yeah i by mean the t- you know
1: she's almost middle-aged it's
0: like oh my god start popping out babies She's like i can't because my hips haven't developed and they're like we well, fucking get on it
1: and i also just got my period uh, yesterday
0: did... <laughs> you ju- so right you're pregnant now dude. So you're
1: a woman yeah
0: congratulations get a guy So, uh, yeah, it was time for an arranged marriage. As the surviving heir of the Ferrer household, this meant that the remainder of her fortune and estate were now under the control of her new 16-year-old husband. Well,
1: at least there isn't a large age gap, so she's got that going for her.
0: Yeah, I guess. It could be worse. You could have, like, a 60-year-old husband.
1: Sure, but let's be honest, she was never going to be able to control her own holdings.
0: Like, no. she's just
1: kind of like a repository until she gets married and pops out babies.
0: Yeah, I, I don't, you know what, like, neither of us are experts in, in this field, so I don't want to speak too much of the...
1: Plight of the woman.
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and gender equality of this era, but we could probably guess that it, it wasn't fantastic for, for women in terms of emp- female empowerment and and managing their own destiny. So, this is where supposition and intrigue bleed into fact. The story goes that Catherine's arranged marriage was also a loveless one, and she was bored of wedded life. We do know that later in their marriage, Thomas was imprisoned for his role in the Presbyterian uprising in the north, so he was potentially too focused on the ongoing civil war to play the doting husband. Also... At this time, highway robbery seems to have been somewhat in vogue, with many of the defeated and now penniless royalist forces now turning into targeted theft to pay their way. In a similar manner, Catherine may have also turned to a life of crime to furnish her purse. So, I think this might have been when highwaymen became really popular in England, anyway, uh, for the first time, because you had a lot of trained mercenaries. Who were no longer getting paid and had lost out on on their previous war effort, who now had to pay their way somehow
1: I mean there's also like a lot of people who have like a sudden drop in their wealth status, and uh like you said, like a lot of well trained people, like if you don't murder them, which usually is the go to mm-hmm. then they're gonna have to do something, and they're gonna fall back on what they know how
0: to do, which is fight, yeah. I'm a little bit disappointed by this part of the story, to be honest, because when I started doing research into Catherine Federer, I thought there was going to be a clear why. I thought even if a lot of it was mythical and had been made up after the fact that there would be a clear through line, so her family passing away at a young age corrupted her and that's why she turned to a life of crime or Or
1: her husband was murdered and
0: right or repeatedly cheating on her so she she did it as a way to act out or and the fact is it sounds like they were not doing well financially and the money that Thomas Fanshawe her new husband was then kind of taking from her estate and securing for, for his own family it sounds like it left them worse off especially when they lost a lot of that money in the war but she she wasn't completely penniless, you know. Yeah, but
1: I mean that's the that's the thing about history, right? It's not it's not a story, and so there is no clear motivation for people. You know, it's possible that she started into robbery and highway highwayman lifestyle.
0: Yeah, highway woman lifestyle,
1: <laughs> Highway. vibe, living
0: that hashtag highway woman life.
1: Um, it, because like she didn't have any control of her own finances, so maybe she 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 had access to money through yeah. her husband, but it's not like she is going to be able to take her own money.
0: I guess it's because there are some clear embellishments in this story. There are parts where parsing out the the truth, what actually happened, is more difficult. And you would figure that while you're busy embellishing other stuff that you would also... Uh,
1: give her motivation?
0: Give her some kind of motivation. While the exact origins of Catherine Ferrer's criminal exploits are unclear... What is oft repeated is that she fell in with a man, her money-making and romantic accomplice, Ralph Chaplin. In some accounts, he was a farmer. In others, he was referred to as a farmer's son. It's not apparent whether he taught her the tricks of the trade, as it were, but in most tellings, he was caught and killed. However, this did nothing to curb Catherine's after-hours activities. So, I guess the point here is that they were working together but mm-hmm. he wasn't the sole driver behind her uh, highway robbery. Sure,
1: he didn't corrupt her.
0: Yes. Catherine's exploits supposedly came to an end after a botched hold up on No Man's Land Common. She appears to have been shot while trying to hold up a driver. She managed to return to her home at Marriott's cell, only to have her bullet-holed body discovered by servants the following morning. Still dressed in the men's tri corner hat and waistcoat she wore to stick up her victims. So the story goes that she managed to drag herself home, and apparently, at her home in Marriott's cell, this big fancy house that was part of the, the family's holdings, she had a false wall or a closet in the downstairs stairwell, and so that's where she would keep her her highwayman garb.
1: Her gear, so from yeah. lady to highwayman in one short staircase.
0: Which in some reports they found, like, uh, during a renovation of Mary itself years later, they, they found a false wall, which again added a little bit of fuel to this idea that she, she was like a, a cross-dressing highwayman. Catherine Ferrer was buried at night on the 13th of June, 1660, at St. Mary's Church, where it would seem that she had brought too much disgrace upon her family to be interred in the family plot or to even be buried during the daytime, as is customary. How much of this is fact and how much is fiction? Well, we do know that Catherine Ferry definitely lived and was married off to Thomas Fanshawe and that she died childless, And that she died childless, not childish.
1: Maybe, we don't know. We're not putting
0: that (laughs) I I don't want to die. You can't make me. No, no. So, but she had no kids, and that's the important thing.
1: Sure, because that means she means nothing.
0: Yes, uh, her role as a woman, essentially, uh, completely empty. Also, the family home at Marriott cell was sold in 1657, so it doesn't make sense that three years later, Catherine would return there after being mortally wounded. Bear in mind, this is her trying to get back and, and get changed and everything so that people won't discover her identity, so... Why would she go to her old house? Mm -hmm. A book published in 1927 by the surviving Fanshawe family places her at London Strand in May of 1660. She had been reunited with Thomas after his political imprisonment and the two were celebrating the return of King Charles II to the throne. The family history states that she did die in June of that year but there is some speculation that this may have been from complications due to a miscarriage, as opposed to her being shot to death.
1: Okay, so there's no proof anywhere that she was actually a highway woman?
0: Not a whole lot. At the very least, there are some conflicting... There's a lot of conflicting evidence. And again, as in the case of Dick Turpin, a lot of this has been reimagined years after the fact. So, for example, there, there's a there's a nursery rhyme that came about About the location of her hidden treasure, where she kept all of her ill-gotten gains, which seems to have come about years and years after her death. So, I guess it's just what happens when you die. Like, uh, people can take certain liberties. (laughs) liberties with your story. Either way, the story of Catherine Ferrer lives on. She was immortalized in not one, but two movies. One that came out in 1945, and a remake in 1983 They are called The Wicked Lady, the latter of which stars Faye Dunaway as Catherine Farrer, if you're interested in checking them out. I haven't seen them, so I, I, uh, you know, could be good, could be bad, don't know. Stories of her ghost-haunting Marriott cell and the surrounding Hertfordshire countryside have generated a bumper trade in ghost tours, and there's even a pub named The Wicked Lady in St. Albans in memory of her, or at least in a more sensationalized memory of the Catherine Farrer story. So what do you think of that?
1: Yeah, I mean, was she real? Was she not? Does it matter?
0: I mean, she she was real. Sure,
1: I mean, I guess as a highway woman, was that persona of her real?
0: It takes us all the way back to our Boudica episode where we, I mean, we couldn't even say for certain that Boudicca was real, but her the revisitation of her story over hundreds and hundreds of years and and being morphed over time, that's important to some people.
1: Yeah, do you think the Ka- Catherine Ferrer story is important to some people? Certainly the ghost tours.
0: Yeah, definitely. Like, if you are a, a local business owner in Hertfordshire, the story of the Wicked Lady probably has some interest to you. How often do we look at men through the lens of, well, what did you do for men? What did you do for the furthering <laughs> of, like, the male gender? But when we see powerful or famous women, we we almost uh, immediately do that as kind of a knee-jerk reaction.
1: Sure. I don't know that she did anything in terms of that other than, like, break stereotypes of what a woman could be.
0: Yeah. It's not as though she went around sticking up men and cutting their penises off and throwing them into bushes, and then she'd let the women go. She'd, like, give the money from the men to the women, like some kind of weird... Uh, like...
1: Robina-hood. Yeah,
0: like gender-fixated Robin Hood. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I really don't know. But it's a fun story all the same. And I'm sure the, the ghost stories generated by this tale are, are fun to hear as well. So...
1: Sure, and it's not like there weren't female criminals all throughout time. You yeah. know? Just because there, there aren't as many or they're not as often immortalized, it doesn't mean women can't be pieces of scum.
0: Oh no no no! You definitely can be a piece of scum. Yeah, you could be anything you want to be. You could be a piece of scum. You could be a piece of trash. You could be a, a I don't know, like a soiled nappy. Whatever you want, sky's the limit.
1: Wow! Nobody's ever ever told me that before.
0: No one's ever told me I could be a soiled nappy. Wow!
1: Well, my dreams are coming true.
0: They sure are. Uh, so before we jump off of Catherine Fairer. Not the way I wanted that to sound. If you have seen either of the movies, or if you've had a pint at The Wicked Lady, please at us um at ETRH the Pod uh on Instagram and Twitter, or drop us an email at etrhthepod at gmail.com.
1: So our fourth and final high woman is Captain Gallagher. So uh I believe his name is Roger Gallagher. No idea when he was born, probably the late seven seventeen hundreds. Um, but he was born in Bonacolon. That's how I'm saying it. And I won't, <laughs> I won't take any notes. Thank you very much.
0: Peek behind the curtain. Uh, Alicia, actually watched some videos before this episode started recording to practice the pronunciation of the place. And no word of a lie. That's actually, I think you articulated it more than the guy who was saying it as Welcome to Bunnicolon. And then Bunnicolon. Just... And then just kind of mash all the sounds together inside. But your I think mouth. that's
1: how you like all British words are like that. Like all British place names are like that. I
0: don't
1: Mash it all together. So he began his life of crime in County Mayo in the general west coast of Ireland. With a small gang, he raided mail coaches, and ransacked the houses of the rich gentry. His activities were very popular with the impoverished common people.
0: So we got ourselves another, another Robin Hood, Robin motherfucker. Hood. Yeah.
1: Um. So it says, writing for the BBC, Ronan O'Connell notes that after robbing mail coaches, they Gallagher and his followers spread their spoils throughout through the community. They also tried to protect Irish peasants bullied by British landlords.
0: Hmm. Okay. Because the landlords would come and ride and like taking their lunch money and like pantsing <laughs> them,
1: kicking sand in their face.
0: Stop colonizing yourself! Stop colonizing yourself! Stop colonizing yourself!
1: Yeah. So there are several folk tales of Gallagher helping the peasants. Basically, all of this is speculation. I don't have any, like, real hard sources. All of these are, like, folk tales about how amazing Gallagher was. Yeah. So it's all gonna be pretty one sided, my friends.
0: Because his name is Gallagher, I am picturing uh, Liam Gallagher in my head. <laughs> so when he's distributing all the spoils, he's like, you fucking, here's some fucking money from the fucking landlords, fucking sunshine, here's your doubloons. You. Our,
1: for our non-British listeners, who is Ian Gallagher?
0: Li- Liam Gallagher Liam, is, Liam. Is, is uh one of the lead singers of the... um of of the Oasis <laughs> of of the uh 1990s Mancunian indie rock band Oasis ah, yeah yes. alongside ah. his brother Noel Gallagher
1: yes also known as Lee Gallagher Re-
0: but yes <laughs> you said Ian Gallagher oh sure yeah <laughs> it's fine i'm sticking with my impression
1: okay um so there are several folk tales of Gallagher helping the peasants supposedly Once, a woman was hurrying home after selling her last cow to make rent. A man in the shadows asked where she was going
0: in such a hurry. Yeah, love, where you going? Yeah, that's Irish. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, no. As I said before, I'm sticking with Liam Gallagher. (laughs) I understand that he is an Irish man from Ireland, but I'm going to stick with my terrible uh, Mancunian impersonation. Sure.
1: A man in the shadows asked where she was going in such a hurry. She replied that she wanted to be home before dark in case Captain Gallagher robbed her. The shadows smiled and gave her money for the cow and rent and bade her to tell people that Captain Gallagher is not so bad a rogue as he was made up to be.
0: Yeah, I'm a fucking... I'm a stand-up bloke, fucking... Are we
1: gonna... Is this gonna continue through the whole rest? Yes!
0: (sighs) God. Buckle in, guys!
1: (laughs) So... There are a lot of these kind of stories, like, in one of the stories, there's, like, a a shop owner, and he keeps getting robbed, like, every night, and so he, like, hires a guard to watch his shop, but he's still getting robbed, and so Gallagher hides in a trunk in the shop and surprises the robber as he's robbing the shop, and it turns out it's the guard that the guy hired, and it's just, like, a lot of, like, wow, what a great guy he is.
0: The His hiding place sounds kind of dumb. And then you remember that, like, when Batman does this kind of shit, you never see where he goes after he goes off screen when Commissioner Gordon turns around and he's like, what the fuck? And he's He's... just
1: booking it across the rooftops. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Or he's just, like, crammed inside of a cupboard, like, please go, please go, please go.
1: (laughs) So as we mentioned before, uh, it's important to note that at this period in history, the Irish had been occupied by the English for 600 years. In the mid-1600s, Cromwell had invaded to quash an Irish rebellion, and likely thousands of civilians were killed in the process. Irish landowners were dispossessed, and their land was given to wealthy Brits.
0: Yes, and uh, some Scottish people as well.
1: Yes, we know.
0: Yeah, I'm, not, <laughs> I didn't, I'm not bragging about it. I, and we got some
1: too, guys! Did you know that? I thought you were saying that we were also...
0: No, we're mm-hmm. also kind of culpable and... There's a, a, a very tangled history there, which I am not an expert on, but I'm enough of an expert to know it's a little bit of a touchy subject.
1: So Captain Gallagher was famous for his raids on these British landlords, and at one point he reportedly made a landlord in Killasser? Killasser?
0: Kill. kill. It's, I'm sure it's, it's g- pronounced <laughs> like Killasser, but just go with Killasser.
1: <laughs> That's how it's spelled. <laughs> yeah, My. a landlord
0: in Kill Asser.
1: So he made a landlord eat half a dozen eviction notices for tenant farmers before escaping with the landowner's valuables. Oh, yeah. Eat it. Yeah. Don't even chew. Just swallow it like a snake.
0: You're a fucking... you're a fucking duck. Eat him like a fucking duck. Quack, quack, motherfucker.
1: Can't see the face that I'm making, but it's not good.
0: Yeah. Just not enjoying this, guys.
1: But in the end, these are all stories, and we don't actually know that he was this Robin Hood figure. It could be that he did give money to the poor Irish around him, but his motivations might have stemmed from the fact that peasants are a lot less likely to turn you in when they're culpable.
0: Yeah. Also, paper, I think, was real thick back then. You know, it was like proper parchment, so it's really hard. Had a lot of
1: calories in it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Probably a lot of fiber, though. I imagine that landlord had some good pooping after that.
1: I think he was probably pretty blocked up, if I'm being honest. For twenty years, Gallagher evaded the Brits, but eventually he came down with an illness. A neighbor tipped off the British, and in some reports, they even like kind of poisoned him and tied him up. And two hundred men were sent to arrest him. He tried to stave off execution by claiming that he'd buried the treasures he'd stolen in the Bernalira Forest. Bernalira, Bernal, Bernalar, That's how I'm going, Bernalar. I-
0: Yes, the come visit the beautiful sprawling forest. What's the name of that? Oh, it's like the sound of a trumpet when he's wearing. It's like forest.
1: Uh, it's spelled Barnalira.
0: It's just outside the county of. Yeah.
1: Uh,
0: turn 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 left at.
1: So if he told them that he had this buried treasure and if they'd let him go he'd lead them to the money but the brits weren't buying it and they hanged him the soldiers were said to have combed the forest for days afterwards but never saw a sign of the buried treasure
0: so it could still be out there as we speak what we're
1: saying is go to vertebrate forest and uh you'll be rich
0: this is like i I don't know like i'm thinking goonies too (laughs) Goonies 2, Search for Gallagher's Treasure.
1: Oh, that's pretty good. It's a good title.
0: They bring back the original cast, minus whichever ones have OD'd in the intervening years. And then they are the parents of the next generation of Goonies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: And they're all in Ireland for some reason.
0: Holiday. <laughs> they're having a holiday. They're celebrating St. Patrick's Day. American people love St. Patrick's Day. You American... Americans, you love your uh, Leva Jeans and St. Patrick.
1: They, you love saying you're Irish when
0: you're not really. I mean, everyone's Irish on St. Patrick's Day, right?
1: Uh, sure. Yeah. So I think Captain Gallagher is pretty interesting because he, he's not just a highwayman, right? He represents the Irish defiance against their occupiers. Sure. And while his story may be embellished, his impact is pretty real. So there's a good, um, I think it's a BBC article written by... Um, this Irish writer who spends most of his time, I think he lives in Australia, but he's talking about how his mother used to tell him stories about Gallagher and to try and kind of connect him more to his homeland. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've linked it in the description. I think it's a pretty interesting read.
0: Yeah, I, and again, we were talking about this when we discussed Catherine Ferrer. Sometimes what that person represents is more important than the life that they actually led, right? If you can assess... The success or the prominence or the notoriety of a highwayman on a on a certain scale, then maybe more important than their deeds or misdeeds in life, it's what kind of shadow did they cast throughout history. And it sounds like in the case of Captain Gallagher, people use that image to
1: kind of fight for, a cause. Yeah, fight for Irish independence. Yeah. So highwaymen and let's be honest, like lots of other criminals, are so often romanticized? Certainly we see that with Dick Turpin and Captain Gallagher. This juxtaposition of the gentleman and the criminal is so titillating. Mm-hmm. A highly masculine figure that eschews authority, but still does no harm. Of course, we know this isn't the case. Many of these highwaymen and women were murderers, thieves, and rapists, and yet distance to the reality of that life Gives us the ability to erase the undesirable and instead focus on the romantic.
0: I would 100% agree. Yeah. Should we do some weird facts? Sure. Um, Okay, so my weird fact actually came up when I was researching another highwayman that that we should cover in a future episode, definitely. But we, we just didn't have time for it today. So this guy's name is Sam Poo, also known as Cranky Sam. Uh, Listeners at home, I can hear you chuckling. Uh, Sam Poo was actually a Chinese labourer in Australia who turned into a highwayman only. I was a little bit confused by the terminology here because he was described as Australia's only Chinese bushranger. So it appears as though there's like a different highwayman culture in Australia where... Maybe because there are fewer highways in in colonial era Australia, but they uh they didn't refer to them as as highwaymen. They referred to them as bush rangers. Yeah, yeah which is also how I would have referred to myself when I was at uni. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's me. I'm a real bush ranger. Pew pew.
1: No, I'm not interested.
0: Thank yeah. you very much. That's why no law ladies would let me go ranger in in their bush. Wow. Yeah.
1: Okay. Um, So mine kind of links back to the romanticization of highwaymen, and I just wanted to give you not so much a fact as it is a short summary of the romance books centered around highwaymen.
0: Oh boy!
1: I'm gonna give you a little list here. Okay. A highwayman's mail order bride, lady. <laughs>
0: yep. Does <Is> she <laughs> does she get like Amazoned in like a mail coach?
1: Lady Lou, the Highwayman, a mm. Regency era romance. The Duchess and the Highwayman. Secrets of the Highwayman. The Highwayman's Bite, where in fact the Highwayman is a vampire.
0: Obviously. T- talk about blending genres.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, at the Highwayman's Pleasure. The Highwayman's Lady. Betraying the Highwayman. The Highwayman and the Lady. Colin. They're in love, but can't reveal who they are.
0: Oh, I like it. <laughs> so it's like Mr. and Mrs. Smith.
1: Yeah. 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 And that's in the full title. And, and finally, just the highwaymen. But the tagline is, Is she safe in the hands of the most dangerous man alive?
0: Yes? No. Yes.
1: Maybe. We need Maybe. To find
0: out. Oh. Turn to page 65. I think if we, we don't have a Patreon... If we if we ever set up a Patreon, we should have a run at taking some of those book titles and then writing what we think the synopsis mm, is mm-hmm. of those stories. Um, which which one's your favorite there?
1: I I think I just really like I like um the length of the the highwayman and the lady or whatever colon <laughs> they don't know each <laughs> other are it's just such a long title. <laughs>
0: And it's I, all capitals.
1: Yeah. Every letter is capital.
0: You're, um. you're trying to make your elevator pitch to your publisher, <laughs> also the name of your book. Um, no, no, but they, but they, but also they don't know. Are you still typing this? You don't have to type this part. <laughs> Wait, stop typing that. Don't type that. Um, and that's the entire front cover. The highwayman's
1: Bite as well is just uh, such a, such a blending of genres. It's it's really the first of its kind.
0: But also he's a robot. <laughs> I, for me, number one has got to be uh, the, the highwayman and his mail order bride.
1: <laughs> Maybe she comes in like a mail coach. <laughs>
0: That's got to be what it is, right? That's good. She's someone else's mail order bride. Ooh. And then he sticks up the coach and he's like, give me, give me all, give Stand me all your deliver. shit. Give me all your stuff. And, he, and the guy's like, oh, well, this is my wife, but I bought her. So I guess she's like
1: myself you are her? i don't really have anything else it been yeah. a moment in her
0: and you think that she's gonna be like really hot and sultry and intelligent and fiery and maybe there's like this kind of back and forth for her and i'm and women, but she's just the worst <laughs> <laughs> so where are we going
1: i've been in a package for so long is
0: this your horse you i don't i don't like it it's not very big
1: I don't like horses.
0: Why are the legs black? Why are the legs sticky? (laughs) Oh my
1: god, there's paint all over my dress.
0: Ah, can we stop at Starbucks?
1: So, just a short sample of uh, our new podcast.
0: Yes, we are available to record audiobooks, uh, so please at us if, if that is the kind of recording magic that you want in your project.
1: Okay, well, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, please give us a like, give us a follow, and leave us a review. This has been Enter the Rabbit Hole, as always reminding you to...
0: Don't worry too much about how big of an arsehole you were in life, because in a few hundred years, people will probably want to make you a folk hero and put you on some stamps. That's a dream. Yeah. Alright, take care for now. Ciao.
1: Enter the Rabbit Hole is written and presented by William Grant and Alicia Palmer. The music was created by Glenn Marshall. More information and sources can be found in the episode description. You can email us at etrhthepod at gmail or follow us on Instagram at etrhthepod. Thanks for listening.